0: Welcome to another special edition of the ACG Analytics Podcast. This is David Metzner, Managing Partner. We are continuing our podcast series from home during the coronavirus pandemic. As a result of the following is a lightly edited version of a policy call we have already held. We will now proceed with the podcast. This is David Metzner. Welcome to today's macro report from Washington, D.C. We are Still within the first 100 days of the Biden administration, lots is happening. We will bring you up to date on the attempt to pass a $1.9 trillion pandemic response bill. We'll talk about where that is and what's in it, and then we'll move to an international perspective. With that, I'd like to turn it over to our lead international analyst, Chris Zerwinski, to begin today's Washington Macro Report.
1: Chris? Thanks, David. And starting D.C., David, as, as you mentioned, quite a bit happening here. Just this week, we have the second impeachment trial taking center stage in Washington. John, I'd love to start there. We talk about this often as a preordained outcome that, you know, not much is going to change based upon the arguments of these impeachment managers. Can you give us an update as to the timeline for this? What's happened this week and if your opinion on that still remains the same?
2: Yes, I mean, I'm not really following the impeachment trial. It's sort of like a soap opera for Washington, D.C. I'm more focused on the future and substantive policy. To the extent that this affects policy, it's delaying Senate action on getting a pandemic relief bill written and aligned with the House, as well as holding up President Biden's nominations to key posts. The trial, no one quite knows when it will end. Earlier this week, there's a hope that it could end maybe as soon as this weekend. It could move into next week, but neither side uh, wants to prolong the soap opera. But it doesn't really set precedent, so it's of even less interest to me going forwards. So then you said it stops business in the
1: Senate. The House, all of the committees are meeting to draft their own portion to this $1.9 stimulus bill that David referenced. You know, this seems to be the talk of the town. It's been the talk of the town for quite a time. What types of provisions have we seen House Democrats coalescing around?
2: The broad outlines we've known. So far, the House Agriculture Committee has reported its reconciliation bill the House Ways and Means Committee is meeting today for day two of what may be a three-day hearing. Some point next week, I can collect what the House has done. The House generally moves quicker. And it gives a good indication of where the Senate may go because there doesn't seem to be a wide divergence. One of the major issues still on the table, which is not an issue for the House because they don't have the same reconciliation rules that the Senate has, is attaching the minimum wage to the pandemic relief bill. That is something that over the weekend, President Biden had suggested in an interview that aired Sunday, it was taped Friday, that probably would not meet reconciliation instructions. But on Monday, the Congressional Budget Office released a new score. And it was sort of shocking because they just looked at this very issue with almost identical parameters in in late 2019 and found that raising the minimum wage would have a negligible effect on the budget. So that would also be a reason to take it out of reconciliation aside from whether or not the policy is incidental to uh, its budgetary effects. Senator Schumer, two days ago, said that he wants to continue to push and try to get the provision into reconciliation. He has a little bit more ammunition with the CBO score, but it still might not meet the incidental requirement under Senate rules. So that's very much up in the air and it depends on the Senate parliamentarian.
1: Are are there other provisions that catch your eye that you're worried about the Senate parliamentarian kicking out as well?
2: Well, that's that's really the main one. You never quite know. There's always a few surprises. And it partially depends on how you draft things. So if your initial response by the parliamentarian is to strip something out, there's still an opportunity to try to craft a proposal so that it would meet the rules that's one obstacle that
1: we're going to have to overcome to getting the reconciliation bill approved. But are there any other obstacles? We've talked before about how reconciliation often takes longer than anybody anticipates. So so what other obstacles stand in the way of passing the final bill?
2: I don't think this will happen, but it's not out of the question that if the liberal wing of the Democratic Party doesn't get some of the things it wants, that it won't supply all the requisite votes. There's a very closely divided House. We focus a lot on the Senate, but the House is pretty close too. And so if there is bad press, bad media, if someone sticks some provision in there, like, you know, the so-called bridge to nowhere that got stuck in a transportation bill many years ago, which really, really hurt Republicans in the election, you could always lose some votes also in absence. So if anyone has to quarantine, if anyone is in the hospital with coronavirus, if anything happens to a single Democratic member in the Senate, just one, or that member withholds his or her vote because of some policy disagreement that's very important to their state, then all of a sudden the whole endeavor crumbles. Okay.
1: And so, you know, you said at the beginning that impeachment, you know, the main thing that you're looking at there is just the fact that it delays other legislation and, and uh, also increases partisanship in D.C. Today, outside of stimulus, we've got this meeting between Biden, Harris, judge, and a supposedly bipartisan group of, of lawmakers. The topic of that conversation is infrastructure. So, again, initially, Biden wanted to push stimulus through a bipartisan agreement so that you could save reconciliation for something later and not really poison the well from a partisan standpoint. How do you characterize these talks on infrastructure? It's entirely too early because that's months down the road. We haven't even passed the stimulus bill. But you know, what do you think the topics of that call today will be? And, and what do you think the Biden strategy is moving forward with that
2: package? Well, you know, I don't know. And I'm very curious to hear what transpires at the meeting, because I don't know whether this is a check-the-box affair, as his meeting with 10 Senate Republicans appears to have been about two weeks ago, or whether there is some real effort here to bring Republicans on board. It's unclear to me, but if you're going to move, you know, an infrastructure bill through reconciliation, I suspect that Democrats are going to oppose it. Now, it may be that if they feel like some of their ideas got in, they won't oppose it as vociferously, That's something that, you know, we tend to think of votes as either up or down, but that's not entirely true. There are many procedural objections that people can make along the way or other dilatory tactics that people can employ and if they really, really care to employ them. So it may be that less of an exercise of securing votes and more of an exercise in dampening opposition.
1: Okay, so then just to close the loop on stimulus, just wh- when do you think it's going to get done and-, and what do you think the final number is?
2: Well, right now the reconciliation instructions are for 1.9 trillion. That number can probably only go down. The minimum wage, for instance, is roughly 55 billion over 10 years. So if that falls out, then that falls out and It's not clear what would take its place. I know Democrats are trying to spend up to the 1.9, but because each of the buckets of money under the budget agreement, has been apportioned to specific committees. If something falls out in one committee, it has to be replaced, if it is replaced, with something under that committee's jurisdiction. So, for instance, minimum wage is under Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee in the Senate. So you could get more money for vaccine distribution or something related, you know, that falls under the health care title, but you wouldn't be able to get greater state and local funding, for instance. People are working in overdrive to get it by March 14th, if not sooner. It's ambitious. I think it can be done because unlike in previous reconciliation talks, whether we're talking about tax reform in 2017 or Obamacare, where the two chambers started very far apart, they're starting from a much more unified place this time. So there are fewer details to hammer out. So I I do believe that timelines can be met, but in my experience, the timelines are hardly ever met. I'm going to say that there's probably 65% chance they'll meet the timeline because what we don't want, the benefits that people have to start expiring again. I appreciate that. I wanted to move on
1: to, you know, this concept of outperformance of the United States. Part of the core of this is relative vaccine distribution and the in the vaccination campaigns in the United States versus, you know, Europe, for example. It seems like the Europeans continue to struggle with their vaccination campaign. Who's in charge of that? And would you consider it a success at this point or are they improving at least?
3: No, it's it's uh, really been a problem. Nobody in the world is happy about their vaccine distribution strategy. I think uh, with the exception of maybe the Israelis. But the U.S. is doing quite well. The U.K. is doing quite well. And in Europe, you know, this was the moment after next-gen use, the, the recovery and rescue package for Brussels to take charge of something. It's just been slow and, frankly, bad. Europe went into lockdown early this year because of the second wave the virus mutation that started in the in the UK and so the idea was we'll have a lockdown and towards the end of the lockdown we'll have reached critical mass in terms of vaccine distribution and between you know slow approvals by the regulators and slow procurements it's not there uh, it's not anywhere near there uh, so uh, we've talked before about how the first quarter is kind of lost in Europe you know the IMF for example had Italy growing at 5% and France growing at 6% this year economically, uh, that's nowhere near happening.
1: Yeah, and, and so John Turek, I mean, what, what does that mean to you? Taking that into consideration, why did you, you know, push the narrative that the U.S. is staged for relative outperformance?
4: Thanks, Chris. I mean, I think we have this interesting, you know, duality as a backdrop where we have not only, as John East was saying, in terms of the high likelihood that the U.S. could be able to pass probably relatively soon a one9 in the ballpark trillion dollar fiscal bill to add to that we also have you know vaccination rates that are picking up I and mean, we've seen this week it's you know almost two million a day in the u.s and you know comparing that and contrasting that with places like europe where there have been counter cyclical buffers and next gen eu disbursements have been relatively slow And the vaccination campaign has barely got off the ground so we have this, this duality that suggests that you know u.s outperformance this year could be pretty substantial not out of the realm say that the U.S. could grow above 6% in terms of real GDP this year, while Europe will really struggle probably to meet the ECB staff macro estimate of around four. Probably it could even be sub three. So I think we've seen that reaction in the market a little where we've had this widening of interest rate differentials between the U.S. and Europe. We've had, you know, to begin the year initial, a little bit of dollar strength that has subsided a bit. And I think kind of the reason that, you know, the interest rate differentials sustain themselves while the dollar trade hasn't really worked, despite the U.S. having a lot of these tactical tailwinds, is that the U.S. is, you know, doing so much that we're going to have a pretty decent global growth number, and the dollar typically doesn't trade very well in, you know, positive global growth elements, and especially given that the Fed backstop will be to accentuate this recovery and not in any way get in the way with it, I think
1: this dynamic could probably persist. Yeah, and this entire notion has a great impact on, at least in my opinion, too, you know, U.S. foreign policy. David, President Xi and Biden had a call last night, first one. Do you have any takeaways?
0: Well, as we've been saying on these calls, you know, there is not that much difference between Trump's approach to China and Biden's approach to China. There is no um, coming drastic change in the Trump tariffs. Biden emphasized in his calls things that are really no-fly zones. For sheep, he talked about Uyghur human rights, Hong Kong democracy, transit in the South China Sea—all the hallmarks of, of Xi's leadership. There's a major debate going on, though, in the. Biden administration as to what is the third approach to dealing with China. The traditional approach up until Trump was one that's uh, derisively called hug the panda, make them more like us. The second approach was the Trump approach, which was to put tariffs on Chinese products and challenge uh, China. So they're searching for a third approach. They're leaning in a direction to blame the, the tension in the bilateral relationship, not on China, but on Xi's leadership, thinking that there is possibility that senior elements of the Chinese Communist Party will judge Xi'an's ability to manage the U.S. relationship will be critical of them. But for now, U.S.-China relationships is frozen within the Trump paradigm. Thanks, David. And I think that we'll wrap it up for the week. I would like to thank everyone for joining us today. I'd also like to thank our team of analysts for offering their unique insights. You can also follow us on Twitter for further insight into capital markets and the political economy. If you wish to reach out for more information, please email us at research at acg-analytics.com. Everyone have a good day. Thank you very much.